This is the Warm Springs program on KWSO. The Public Health Service has been around for over 200 years. Captain Michelle Jamelis is a retired captain from the United States Public Health Service Commission Corps. Today, we will hear her story from college student to retirement. I was born and raised in western New York and went to Rutgers University in New Jersey. And my story is that I had always had this desire to move out west, um, primarily to ski, (laughs) I'll be honest, but also just, you know, to have an interesting life, you know, as opposed to being a counter pharmacist. And one of the jobs that I was offered, you know, when I graduated was to work for a, a chain of pharmacies called People's Drug in Maryland. So I went and got a Maryland license. But my spring break, my final year of pharmacy school, I came out west and I skied with some friends out in Winter Park, Colorado. And I interviewed all over Denver for jobs that didn't exist. I mean, there were really literally no openings in Denver. But the last person that I interviewed with happened to be married to a guy from my hometown. And she said, I hear what you're saying, and I've got an idea for you. And she gave me one of those little tiny sticky notes, and it had the name and a phone number of a guy from the Indian Health Service, because she had worked for two years in Tuba City, Arizona, for Indian Health Service. And so I went back to Rutgers, finished off my last two months, stuck that thing on my desk, and one day I just picked up the phone and called them because I was utterly bored with the opportunities that were available to me. And within a few months, I got my pharmacy license, and I was moving to Fort Defiance, Arizona, in the middle of the Navajo Reservation. And so from there, I you know, worked there for three and a half years, which was kind of hard duty. It was a lot of time in the emergency room. A lot of people died tragically on that reservation before the the road became um, four lanes. It was a two-lane road, and people would go off reservation and and come back and end up having accidents. And so that was that was a difficult time. But then I moved up to Browning, Montana, to the Blackfeet Reservation. Worked there for two and a half years. And during my time there, I was friends with some folks down here in Warm Springs, and they asked me to come down and do some temporary duty because they knew that I could fill a million prescriptions an hour. And so they (laughs) um, asked me to come down and work for two weeks while they were moving into the new clinic. So I did temporary duty for that two weeks. And then I don't know if everyone remembers Russ Alger and Weldon Roberts, but they called me every day for a few days trying to get me to come back and be the quality improvement coordinator at the clinic. And I said, I really don't have any experience doing that. I'm a pharmacist. But Russ was a what we call the super-duper pharmacist. Back in the day, pharmacists used to do things like um, do the x-rays, do the lab draws, run the lab tests. <laughs> you know, They did a little bit of everything in um, the IHS of his day, as we call it. <laughs> yeah, so he's, he's pretty proficient in a lot of things. Russ said he would train me, and train me he did. The job that I was asked to do was as the Director of Quality Improvement and Risk Management at the clinic. And um, part of the reason that I was ultimately willing to do that was, first of all, Warm Springs, believe it or not, is the most urban place I've ever worked. <laughs> um, the rest of the, the other two places I worked before this were, were extremely rural. Um, but mostly because I was thinking that the tribes decided on that position, you know, they got a new staffing package when they built the new clinic. So the staff went from 30 people to about 100 people. And in that staffing package, they were adamant about having somebody to make sure that the quality of care was appropriate. 
And so they took it very seriously. So I knew if they took it seriously, that the administration of the clinic would take it seriously and that, you know, the job would be important. And I, I felt like I was ready to level up a little bit after being assistant chief pharmacist for a, for a while at the other facilities. And I got here and the job magnified. It became quality improvement risk management, um, accreditation, credentialing and privileging of medical staff. At one point, I had a five-month stint as the clinic manager trying to improve some things. So, And then I did some stuff regionally for the Portland area as well. So I spent 16 years here in Warm Springs, and it was a really great decision. I've, you know, we bought a house, had kids. It was a lovely experience, and I really miss, actually miss working with the people of Warm Springs every day now that I'm retired. Captain Jamelis talks about the history of the public health service and what kinds of organizations they are assigned to. So the United States Public Health Service was originally founded as the U.S. Uh, Marine Hospital System. And it started with hospitals that were located around the United States um, in seven, like 1798. We're talking about pretty far back. And then kind of morphed over the years. Um, I know that one of the next big historical touch points is, is when they were uh, doing quarantines at Ellis Island for a lot of the immigrant, immigrants that were coming in, in, in particular in the late 1800s, early 1900s. Um, and after that, <clears throat> the Commission Corps became a thing. Um, they established the position of the Surgeon General. And all of the different services, you know, the Army, the Navy, Air Force, et cetera, all have a Surgeon General. But the United States Surgeon General is from the Commission Corps of the Public Health Service. The officers of the Commission Corps um, staff lots of places around the United States now. Um, right now, it's a cadre of about 6,100 professionals, and they're physicians and pharmacists, nurses, veterinarians, engineers. But they're all professionals that have already graduated from college, and which is why they're commissioned officers. And they staff organizations that you're very familiar with, um, the Indian Health Service, the Bureau of Prisons, the federal prison system, the FDA, the CDC, the NIH, immigration and naturalization, and do some staffing with the Coast Guard for the medical services as well. Now Captain Jamelis talks about the training new recruits go through. We needed to have um, basic officer training camps. People needed to understand that if we were going to be a uniform service, and we are one of the, one of the seven, well, now eight uniform services, um, and the 8th Uniform Service being the Space Force. So basic officer training classes and intermediate officer training classes for, for um, officers once they achieve a certain rank as well have been established. We are not trained to use weapons, um, which is why we're a uniform service and not a military service. However, the benefits that we receive when we retire are the same as the military. Captain Jamelis discusses what branch of the government the Public Health Service falls under and different types of employees. We're under the Department of Health and Human Services. So the Secretary of the Department of Health and Human Services supervises the Public Health Service. And the Public Health Service, if we're speaking about that, it's the Commission Corps, which are the military or uniformed branch, but also the civil servants that serve in the Public Health Service. So, for instance, at our clinic here in Warm Springs, you'll see three different employment systems. You'll see the Commission Corps where you hire the commission officers who are wearing uniforms. There are civil servants that are hired by the public health service and through the Indian Health Service. And then there's tribal employees. So we have, there's lots of um, complications when it comes to the hiring process and, 
and who you're going to actually work for and who you're going to answer to. So again, you know, most of the Public Health Service Commission core officers are providing services like, you know, as physicians, as nurses, as pharmacists, and also sometimes in our lab as medical technologists. Captain Jamelis talks about the transition from the old clinic to the current one and how the public health service is trained for emergencies such as COVID-19. The day that we moved into the clinic, that clinic was too small. You know, I mean, they, they thought they were expanding dramatically. But then when you add another 70 staff, then you add the capacity to see people that you didn't know needed to be seen, you know, and we did a lot of outreach. And things improved quite a bit with the new clinic. Um, and I know that they've, you know, the community can tell you there have been peaks and troughs and peaks and troughs. And, and that's the way it normally goes because sometimes those programs that, that are really successful are lodged with certain people. And, and not everybody's great at giving away and passing, passing the torch to the next, to the next group. Um, but Overall, I think the clinic has done a pretty amazing job, especially in, you know, in terms of like the recent events, like the COVID safety. That was a big job to try to get everything moved to the outside, to try to keep people safe and to keep the staff safe. You know, that's a big deal, too, because if your staff starts dropping due to COVID or whatever, you know, that's a problem. We are trained in the Commission Corps anyway. We are trained for deployment as well. And that's part of what's necessary for us to, to maintain every year as we are up for promotions, as we are evaluated. Our readiness to be deployed is important. I was deployed along with 2,000 other commission officers over the course of Hurricane Katrina. I was deployed to Gulfport, Mississippi. My husband was deployed to New Orleans. Um, I, I don't know if everybody remembers the newspaper articles about all of us being deployed, but um, it was a big job. And it was... It was a terrible tragedy in our country, and that's part of what the United States Public Health Service Commission Corps wants to maintain. They want to make sure that, that we have a deployable force for things like that in this country because, you know, we're trained. We're trained to, to deal with crisis like that. So circling back to COVID, that was just second nature. You know, they had to do a lot of learning, and the group that did it did a fabulous job. They're exquisitely equipped to be able to uh, keep the community safe during a situation like that. In the beginning of the pandemic, people were dying in nursing homes by the bucket loads because those were the people that were most at risk. I remember at H1, during H1N1, one Will would call me on the phone, and I would take the time to try to explain why we were vaccinating the children before the elders, because that's like not the way we do things, right? If we're talking about a universal vaccine for everybody, we don't usually vaccinate the children before the elders. We would do the elders first, but... You know, with this particular situation with COVID, the elders were dying from the from the alpha COVID variant first in droves. And the older they were and the more conditions that they had, the more likely they were to pass away from this disease once they got it. And it's just, it's terrible because there weren't enough ventilators on the planet in the beginning. There's a, a lot of difficulty in, in caring for patients during a pandemic, especially in the beginning when you don't really know what's going on. In a personal example, Jim would come home from working at the clinic and he would strip down in the garage and he would make his way directly to the shower. We wouldn't visit, we wouldn't hug, we wouldn't stop and talk. He would completely decontaminate himself. And some of our 
folks that work at the clinic are still doing that because they're the people that are caring for people that have symptoms. And so, you know, that's just really kind of hard. In the very beginning, back in New York City, there were people coming home to their families and sleeping in their garages in a tent to stay warm uh, because they didn't want to expose their families. It's, it was crazy until we started to understand a little bit more. Yep. Retired Captain Michelle Jamelis gives her advice on retirement and who qualifies for the VA benefits. What I figured out through my experience in the process of retirement is that every person that retires from a uniformed service in the United States government should have a retirement physical and find out if they have service-connected issues that occurred during their service. Part of the reason that that's important is because, you know, later in life, when things start happening to that back injury, you know, that you had that was service-connected, that can be covered by the Veterans Affairs, by the VA. So I think that that's a message I would want to drive forth. There are 1,100-plus veterans in Jefferson County alone, and not all of them are getting services. I wish that everybody had the guidance that I had. I was told immediately to have a full physical. I was sent up to Hillsborough to the VA to have that physical. I had a veteran service officer. When things started going wrong as I aged that were related to those service-connected things after working for 23 years, those things were covered by the VA. And I think that, you know, I'm getting a lot of phone calls actually from veterans who are asking me, how do I do this? And these, these folks are, you know, 40 years removed from their service. And I really wish we could help them, but, but that's really hard. You know, I send them to the VSO, to the Veteran Service Officer in Jefferson County, but that doesn't mean that they're going to have service-connected issues taken care of. There is a Veteran Service Officer that works with, specifically with, with the tribes down here, and that person is the one who's going to establish services for those folks if they're available. You know, a lot of times what will happen is the prescriptions will be sent to the VA and they'll be filled at the VA, normally sent to the veteran, but I, I'm not sure how they're dealing with it at the IHS pharmacy in terms of medications. But they're still eligible for Indian Health Service. So I guess that's my advice to everybody who is currently active duty, currently doing National Guard. Um, a lot of us are, once you're deployed, if you're deployed and you fulfill your active duty service, you can be eligible for, for services from the VA, but you need to talk to your VSO and be in touch. Retired Captain Michelle Jamelis talks about opportunity everywhere and encourages the youth who are interested in health professions to pursue it through shadowing or mentoring. My husband and I used to say we could do just about anything for two years, so we moved to places that were really challenging. And we'd stay for two years and find out that we absolutely loved it. I mean, hiked the Grand Canyon, you know, hiked at Glacier National Park and every window of our house faced it. It was lovely. But also, we have a lot of friends who have moved from agency to agency where Public Health Service Commission Corps officers are stationed. So folks that have gone, worked for Indian Health Service, then worked for the Coast Guard, then worked for FDA, and then retired there. We have friends who have worked for Indian Health Service who then went to work for CMS. So, I mean, there are just plenty of opportunities to move around. Folks that are not, you know, really into living in beautiful rural settings like the one we live in can also find lots of opportunities in the cities. And I know that 
that some folks are, you know, I've got friends that live in Denver, friends that live in San Francisco and D.C. So, yeah, there's opportunities all over the country in a wide swath of, of jobs. We have consistently, at least in Indian Health Service, tried to encourage the youth to consider medical careers of any sort. There are dental hygienists, there are dental assistants, there are, you know, phlebotomists, you know, people at that level who go and get some amount of training, sometimes even not even an associate's degree, but an associate's degree is is available for things like pharmacy technicians and things like that. And we encourage people to start doing something like that, see if that appeals to them. Because uh, we have a lot of people at the clinic, actually, who have risen up through the ranks, who started as, as billers, who started as coders, who then are now running the business office in the case of our young Jeremiah Johnson. I'll give him a shout out. The opportunities are abundant here. I would encourage people, if they are interested in health professions, especially if they're, if they're native and, and they are you know, familiar with Indian Health Service, to try to talk to folks about doing some shadowing. The problem is during COVID, that's going to be really difficult. However, having conversations with those folks or having, you know, coffee talk outside at the clinic to just kind of figure out if that's a direction you want to go in. I do that with a lot of kids. You know, my son actually is is mentoring some kids from the high school who might want to go to medical school, in part because we live in such a small community and some of the kids don't feel as though they have you know, that they can compete. They feel like it's really competitive, and it is competitive, but definitely you can be set up in, in uh, graduating from Madras High School, growing up in Jefferson County, Wasco County, to be able to become a healthcare professional. It happens with a lot of regularity now. We have a bunch of young people that have gone off to become nurses, physicians, pharmacists. In fact, Mosaic Medical is, is now home to a young pharmacist that I mentored when she was in high school who came down here to Warm Springs and kind of shadowed and decided that she wanted to be a pharmacist, went to OSU, got her degree, and now she's the director of the pharmacy out in Prineville. So, I mean, there are lots of opportunities, especially in a small town. It's a lot easier to connect with those healthcare professionals to kind of find out what they do on a day-to-day basis, figure out if that's what you want to do. And I certainly would be happy to talk to anybody who is interested in any healthcare profession because I don't know all the answers, but I know all the people that do. That was retired Captain Michelle Jamelis, who worked here in Warm Springs for the Indian Health Service. I'm Duncan Bruno reporting for the Warm Springs program on your community radio station, 91.9 FM, KWSO.